0: Very close to wrapping up Ephesians. Our text for this morning is Ephesians 6 verses 19 and 20. Ephesians 6:19 and 20. We'll begin reading from Ephesians 610 uh, through verse 20. This is God's holy word also. <laughs> Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God. We thank you for this beautiful Lord's Day you've given us. We thank you, Father, for the clarity of your word. Father, we pray that you would grant us all uh, the wisdom and the humility that we would ask for prayer on our behalf, even as the Apostle Paul did, and that we would also be willing to pray for others and bear their burdens. We thank you, Father, for the fellowship we share, and we pray that we would be those who lift up holy hands together in prayer. That as Christians, our faith and our dependence on you would be manifested often, even as we seek you in prayer. Father, we pray that you would grant us a love for the gospel, that indeed it is a great mystery. Father, we pray in thanks that our Lord Jesus is risen from the dead. And we pray, Father, that many would come to believe upon Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray, Father, for the advancement of the gospel uh, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and in, uh, in our families, and among our, those in our workplaces. Father, grant us a heart for the lost, and Father, we pray that Jesus would be exalted, that your servant will be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Here I think about this great mystery of the gospel and how we need prayer for its advancement, Here, we think about the foolishness of the message preached. Have you ever wondered? It seems like there's so many oddities regarding the gospel. It's such a brilliant, such a simple, and such a hope-filled message that a sinner may have all of their debts paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Why would someone not believe it? You would think that a king who freely offers to capital criminals in his kingdom that their sins and their crimes can be wiped clean from the kingdom record. You would think that such sinners would love this king and give thanks to him. But it seems like the fact that our Lord Jesus, uh, in bringing the gospel to sinners, people despised him. And for us, this is a great mystery. God's goodness is manifested, and people despise him. Here, as we think through this book of Ephesians, we think about how it's our glorious Savior in Jesus Christ who is presented to us in all his glory. That ultimately it is not man who receives honor and praise. it is our God. It is Jesus Christ who is high and lifted up and exalted in this letter. Here, we basically finished the section on the armor of God. But in addition to the word of God, there is the matter of prayer. That uh, how essential prayer is for the spiritual battle. That without prayer, it seems as if the six articles that one puts on is as if they're powerless. The assumption is that God has given us means... The means of prayer, and that you and I would constantly be using it, that we would be regular in it, not only for ourselves, but for those around us. This is part of bearing one another's burdens. So we see in these two verses, Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, that though an apostle of Christ Jesus, Paul models the need and solicitation of prayer for his high calling in Christ, Though an apostle of Christ Jesus, Paul models the need and solicitation of prayer for his high calling in Christ. We see also for for you and for me that though we are not called as apostles, we are called to a high calling in Christ. That we might be a new creation. That we might be made new. And this is still a high calling for all of you and for me. And that because of it, we need the humility uh, to seek out prayer. And to offer prayers for for others, so we'll see this in three points. The first is Paul's need, second Paul's request, and third Paul's burden. The first, Paul's need, in verse first uh, part of verse nineteen, and also for me. So this comes following verse eighteen, which which says making supplication for all the saints and also for me. So it's it's a request. It's a short phrase that accounts for Paul requesting prayer on his behalf. Here, we think about how you have these various articles of armor. The armor is given begins with the belt of truth and then the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel shoes or the gospel footwear, the shield of faith, <clears throat> And then you have the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And we also have prayer. That's not officially an article of armor. But one can say that uh, if there's any offensive weapon, uh, the sword is both defensive and offensive. And prayer is, is both defensive and offensive too. That Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was about preparing to go to the cross... He had warned his disciples, watch and pray that you do not fall under temptation, fall into temptation. That that is your duty, that is my duty, that we watch and pray. And it's not only for ourselves, but for those around us. Here we think about how the whole epistle spoke about what we ought to believe concerning God, and what duty God requires of us, and how the the devil... ...is one who opposes us. That you will be a danger... ...to the kingdom of Satan... ...if you are believing... ...the truths of the gospel. If you're believing God... ...in what he has revealed to us... ...and that you are obeying his word. This makes you dangerous... ...and he will attack you. Here... ...we think about how... ...the apostle Paul... ...in asking for prayer... ...it's both a manifestation... ...of his humility and his understanding of his spiritual state. We see this not just in Ephesians, but in his other letters as well, that oftentimes at the end of his letters, he speaks about the duty to pray, that those who are Christians would pray unceasingly. And he often also requests prayer for himself, pray also for me. The Christian, perhaps you've realized a Christian never graduates or matures beyond the need for prayer, both for his own and from others. In fact, with a greater spiritual maturity comes a greater perceived need for the prayers of, of others and a duty to pray for others. It doesn't become less, it becomes more. And notice I say it's the perceived need. Our need for prayer never changes. It's always the same. Uh, it's the perceived need, how how important it is, how necessary it is. And we think about how in the life of Peter, in the book of Acts, that Herod, uh, Herod put Peter in prison, and we're told in Acts 12.5, so Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. Remember the scene was that Peter was chained, chained to these guards his chains fell off. He walked up to the gate. The gates opened. The city gate opened. And then then the angel left. And he goes to the house, knocks on the door, and the servant girl, Rhoda, uh, recognizes his voice, uh, that it's Peter, and they don't let him in. They're praying that Peter uh, would would be released, or they're, they're praying that he, he would be protected. But they don't actually realize that God answered their prayer right then and there. Here... We think about how the mature Christian knows his enemies as you ought to know yours. You have the world, the world and all her allurements, the world and all her allurements, all the things that they present distractions from the things that are important. All the desires of things that we might want, which we can all admit we're not taking in with those things with us. The world and her allurements. Then you have the flesh. You have the weakness of your own flesh. Have, have you ever realized this? How we're supposed to have mind over body. So the body wants to do one thing. Very simple. The alarm goes off or whatever. You're tired. The, the mind says, get out of bed. The body says, another five minutes. right? Another five minutes. And it's never five minutes, right? It's never five minutes. And it's very easy for people to think the body can persuade the mind of all kinds of things. Our minds should be directing our bodies. They should be subject to our, uh, to our minds. Our, our bodies should be. That what, what, the, what the mind says, the body ought to do. But more often than that, we see that there's persuasion going the other way. Persuasion regarding our weakness, pers- uh, regarding our emotions. Whenever the emotions overtake uh, the direction of the mind, you, you generally have problems. So also, the reasonings of the mind saying, no, that is sin, we cannot do it. The body is saying, I want it, I, I should have it, and I should have it now. And there's also the devil. The devil comes in, keep, keep in mind that the devil comes in and he's generally trying to tempt in matters of pride. That's how he felt. That's not to say that, that those, those are only temptations, but he, he tempts to tempt with matters of pride. You deserve it. You've earned it. Uh, no one cares for you. You are left alone. So you think about the world, the flesh, and the devil. The mature Christian realizes that those three are, are, are opposing him. And when you and I realize that, then we should also realize along with it How much it is that we need to pray. That we watch and pray. That we not fall under temptation. That we watch and pray that others do not fall under temptation. That there's a duty to pray for others. And there's also the duty that we would ask prayer from others. Here, this whole phrase, and also for me, comes from that statement, making supplication for all the saints. So Paul is saying that prayers ought to be offered for all the church. For all believers, all Christians. And again, we hear you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church defines saints as people who are put on some kind of pedestal. But that's not how the scriptures define saints. A saint is a Christian. A saint is an elect. A saint is someone who is set apart to be in Christ. Every Christian is a saint. And that we should be praying for all the saints in the sense that we should be praying for people who are believers in another country right, Uh, believers all over the world as they suffer persecution, that that should be a concern for us. Here, we think about how the Apostle Paul says, pray also for me, I address this very simple matter first. Are we still to pray for the Apostle Paul? The answer is, no, we're not. He's in heaven. He has no worries. He has no cares. There's no need to pray for him. He's not praying. Anymore. He has direct contact with God. We're not to pray for the Apostle Paul anymore. Here, what he's saying is a model for us to understand. It has application. There's a Christian duty to offer prayers for others. Galatians two uh, six two says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Oftentimes this comes up if you see a brother in need, uh, that we don't say to him, go, uh, be warm, be well fed. It says that we ought to take action. That not just uh, by words, but in deeds. We think also of burdens. That there would be prayers offered uh, and help extended. But you think about prayers, prayers extend to the physical things, to the material things, it extends also to the spiritual things. Here, this is often, uh, this is often what, Parents see this often what the church leaders see so here you think about children children want to do something this is a great idea we talked about as as my brothers and sisters and we're going to do this and the parents come in they see things completely differently oh that sounds like a lot of fun but here are some pitfalls and oftentimes you think about how parents step in there or or church leaders step in there and they put the kibosh on what seems like a great idea and a lot of fun there's also the matter of how those who are responsible for souls in the church that uh, we might start asking some questions and, and then the, the, the idea of, hey, why, why are you meddling in my life? There's a duty to pray for one another. Every Christian has that obligation. Here, when we think about not being eager or not being focused, not being diligent to pray for others. This is tantamount to a lack of charity or a lack of compassion. Meaning that if if you're not active in praying for those around you, in your church body, even in your neighborhoods for, for those who are not Christian, it's, it's tantamount to a lack of charity or compassion. You're... The specific application comes up regarding praying for ministers, for evangelists, and missionaries. We ask, well, why should we do that? Well, we should do that because in so doing, you partner with them in their ministry. So the the missionaries who are overseas, who are facing persecution, who are facing all kinds of opposition. Think for a moment. When you read the book of Acts... How entertaining is that book? could anyone come up with a movie that could, could even come close to entertainment value? Of, hey, wow, who would have thought of that? The saying goes, truth is stranger than fiction. I, I think about all these stories in the Bible, how, how man can't make those things up. You think about how, oh, what would it look like to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, if you asked any man, what would this look like? We would never come up with the Book of Acts. Hey, you're this man. He's falsely accused, and then uh, he he's enchained, and he gets whipped, and he starts telling people why. Well, what did you? Why are they accusing you? And and then then uh, this this civil magistrate says hey what's going on here and he starts telling hey this is what they're fighting about it eh? seems like you guys are arguing you guys think this man is dead and he's still dead and you're telling me this pastor who is dead is now alive and, and, and then then there's a plot to assassinate him because he's being sent to some other place then he appeals to Caesar you think about how a minister this apostle to the Gentiles how he's chained He's sharing the gospel with these leaders and he's physically chained up. Why would we think that this is our model of what what should be? Here, we think about how, when in various countries, how is the gospel going to go forward? Is it going to go forward with military might? No. That's not how we've seen it go forward. That's not how we've seen it advance. It's with the weakness of man that those who are rock bottom, they're the ones who pick up the gospel and say, if this isn't true, there is no hope left. This is the only hope that I have. And perhaps you've realized that that is your hope too. When when we say our hope is in Jesus Christ, what we're saying is there isn't any other hope that we have. Here, we think about how partnering with others in the gospel, sharing their burdens, you also get the privilege of hearing and witnessing your prayers be answered. Not everyone can go. Not everyone can have the opportunities. There are certain opportunities that some of you have that we don't have. And as you share your burdens with us, we also partner with you in that. If we think about how Regarding ministers and these missionaries and evangelists, you think for a moment about how every Christian will have opposition. He will have opposition from the world, the flesh and the devil. And would you think that whatever temptations, whatever opposition a Christian has, that a minister would have greater opposition? you think that their temptations their discouragements would be harder they'd be worse go go read the book of first and second corinthians Uh, look at the life that paul talks about there when he talked about five times he had 39 lashes three times beaten with rods one stone three times shipwrecked. wow that's that's not even the, the end of the sentence and here we we think about how uh there's all kinds of opposition all kinds of disappointments Here we think of the story of Moses that we read earlier, Exodus 17. Amalek, Moses with his arms raised, he was praying, Uh, the symbol of prayer, he was praying on on behalf of the, the Israelites. And when his arms were raised, Israel prevailed. And when his arms fell, Amalek prevailed. So they had people help lift up his arms. They gave him a rock to sit on. And we ought to understand that Uh, in each of these instances of, of needing someone to help lift up your arms. This is what we do when we pray on behalf of others. Here, we think about how ministering to those who don't know Christ. Oftentimes, you get a good sense of what they're about if you offer to pray for them. May I pray for you? And and You can get some sense of, hey, do they have any opening to the gospel? Are they they even open? And you get some sense there. Oftentimes, that is your door in. Oh, they're willing to receive prayer. They're willing to receive prayer now. I'll pray for them now. And this is part of, of your ministry to those around you, that you might even offer them prayer. And that opens the door for other spiritual conversations. Here, we see also... The, the duty that Christians have to request prayer from others. It's not, it's not because of something that's shameful that the Apostle Paul requested prayer. We can say it is weakness. We can say it is our, uh, our own sin. But uh, the request for prayer is not tantamount to a, an admission of sin. It's because we realize none of us are designed to live alone. None of us are designed to be lone ranger Christians. There's a need for the support of others. Uh, Gernal, in his book, Christian and Complete Armor, he describes this matter of seeking the prayers of others in this way. He describes it as a man with his house on fire. When you think back to you know before the days of fire departments, uh, before the days where there was a, a fire station in, in every neighborhood, but he talks about a man with his house on fire. What what man of the right mind if his house were on fire? would not go out in front of his house and knock on doors to ask for help and say, hey, we need to get a bucket brigade going. My house is burning down. I I will have no place to lay my head tonight because my house is going to burn to a crisp. What man wouldn't do that? And so also, consider your situation. Is it also true that regarding your spiritual life, We would see the need. If you're in need, if if you have a burden, if you have uh, anything of concern that we would be willing to share with someone else, hey, I need you to pick up a bucket and get to the well. I need you to go implore at the throne of grace for me. That if there is need, we should ask of it. The house burning down. Here, the flip side. Not being willing to pray for someone else in their need is tantamount to a lack of charity or compassion. Not to request prayer when needed is pride. It is pride in our behalf. It is pride to say, I don't need anyone's help. I don't need prayer. We all need prayer. Specific is, for what do we need prayer? Here, you think about how the house analogy. There's something even closer, especially within a local body. If prayer is not requested, it's not someone's house burning down. If you think about a neighborhood, the house burns down. That ha- that affects the neighborhood. Probably affects the uh, the the price of homes. Uh, if you live not in a neighborhood with single family homes, you live in like a condo or a townhouse structure, hey, if one of them burns, they share a common roof structure, roof beams, uh, you're, you're in trouble. We ought to think about it within a local body. It's like having a fire on a ship. Here, if water gets onto a ship, you, you can bail that out. Their primary concern is if there's a fire on the ship, that's serious danger. That's far more important than getting water in the ship. Here we think about how uh, our friend Akram Mata, when he came to speak about arrived Ministries, he spoke about a missionary. And while he was serving the locals, trying to uh, share the gospel with them, how important it was for this missionary that in a time of need, he actually asked the locals, hey, I'm in need. So he could have sent home, message to home, Thousands of miles away, hey, I am in need. They could have met that need. But instead, his, his desire was, I'm going to share these needs with the locals. And to them, he became someone who was human. He became someone who was vulnerable. And that advanced his ministry. It didn't hurt his ministry. It actually advanced it. Here, requires humility on your part, my part, even as the Apostle Paul had. And also for me. That prayers would be offered for him. It requires humility on your part and mine to understand our own weakness. That we would seek help. And that those who don't seek such help and support in prayer. Will miss out on such great blessings from God. Here we think about how God works. He works through means. God saves people. Yes indeed he does. He uses the means of messengers. He uses the means of the work. God strengthens people. He uses the means of the, the word, of fellowship, of prayer. We ought to think that God uses ways. He uses means. God gives blessing. He uses the means of prayer. Here we think about the local church prayer meeting. Oftentimes people have told me, Frank, you cannot require me to go to a prayer meeting. You realize when we get to that point, Something has gone wrong. And usually it's, hey, listen, I have not required of you anything. I've only encouraged you to come to the prayer meeting. If they're pushing back saying, hey, you can't require me to go, say, hey, listen, obviously, there's some problem here, <laughs> because I know I can't require you to go. And if that's your immediate conversation, you can't require me to go, then, then it's like, well, why, why are you not willing to go? here? I hear all kinds of reasons. Hey, there's certain things I have to do in the day. I catch up on sleep. I have other activities with my families that I do. It's like, well, can you, can you give me any good reason why you should have a prayer meeting? <laughs> and we're stuck. Well, well, because God commands it that we would be faithful in prayer, that we would bear one another's burdens. Let's talk about Why does God want us to go to prayer meeting? Why does God want us to attend a second service in the church? If we can come up with those answers instead of why you don't want to go and why you don't need to go, we're already on the wrong page. It is a great blessing to be in the gathering of God's people in a time of prayer. This is a good thing. Whatever hindrances, whatever whispers Satan gives you that you might have to get out of it, Don't listen to it. Is there friction between you and another brother or sister? Then you ought to clear it in such a way that you can pray with and for such a brother. There's great blessing both in giving and receiving. We think about how good occasions in the past where we've been part of congregations and there were not only adults praying, but the opportunity to hear even little children praying. How will little children be trained up in prayer unless they see it practice, unless they attempt it, unless they grow in their own prayers? That even little children should be heard praying and part of the regular life of the church. So this is Paul's need that he addresses. We second have Paul's request, second half of verse 19, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Very interesting. What gets left out? Here, you think about the things that aren't mentioned and the things that are. Anytime you have conversations with people, we should note what isn't said along with what is said. What's obvious is what's said. What's not so obvious is what is not said. And when Paul gives his requests uh, that words may be given me to open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, what he does not request, keep in mind, as Paul is writing this letter, he's in a prison. I think it's a Roman prison. He doesn't ask for his release from prison, He lasts, he asks that he would be faithful. We think about how the last place you would think you want to be is in prison. And whatever conditions we have in our society for prisons, they're going to be a hundred times better than what they had back then. Here, you would think a minister, he'd want to be among the movers and the shakers. Trying to share the gospel with those in power. Well, Paul had that, it's just he was in chains. And you think about the people in the prison. Paul and Silas. right? Acts 16, Paul and Silas. falsely accused, whipped, put into the stocks in the inner prison. Hopelessness in prison. And why are men who are hopeless singing? Singing hymns and praising God. Who are those men? What are they talking about? None of us have hope. Surely we must listen to what they have to say. Here you think about how God puts people in certain places against your will, perhaps. But you think about how Paul would have had a captive audience. A Roman soldier chained to him several hours a day. thats He probably had Roman soldiers chained to him 24 hours a day. But he had a Roman soldier for their shifts. He would have been chained to him. You think the person can get away from him when he's going to pray out loud? and speak to them about his hope in Christ, they're not getting away. Here, we think also about our own requests. Paul didn't ask to be free. He didn't ask for material goods. He didn't ask for honors from men. He didn't ask for ease of life. He asked for greater things. This request of Paul reveals his heart. Here, I ask you... What do your frequent prayers and prayer requests reveal about you and your desire? Here we think about the content of what Paul requested. The what? He requested that words may be given to him in the opening of his mouth. That he would make known the mystery of the gospel. He asked for utterance. He asked for the words to say. Here, the apostle Paul had acknowledged earlier in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, that the Holy Spirit first gave to Paul, the revelation gave, first gave to him, the insight regarding the mystery of the gospel. Ephesians 3, 1-5, to five, For this reason I, Paul, uh, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery As I have briefly written already by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Here, regarding mystery. He's already stated the Holy Spirit is the one who revealed to him the mystery. And now he's acknowledging the Holy Spirit needs to be the one who gives him the words to say Luke chapter 12, verse 11. The Lord Jesus speaks about how the Holy Spirit, when you're brought before the, in the synagogue, before the rulers, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what you are to say, the defense that you will give. Meaning that no one has the time. They, they don't have the time. Hey, you're going to be arrested at this time, and they're going to have all your books and your papers and your assistants. No, you're going to be given the words to say This is never a substitute for uh, a lack of diligence. It doesn't exclude proper preparation and prayer and study, but God uses these means. Here, we think about this mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that had the rulers of this age understood the mystery, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, our Lord Jesus Indeed is a mystery. They couldn't understand it. God was pleased to conceal this mystery from wise and intelligent people, from people in power, people in authority, from people with great wealth, but rather he revealed it to little infants. Matthew eleven, twenty five to twenty-six. This great mystery of the gospel. Another question, similar question is to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Here we think about this mystery. We ought to understand it in this way. How few actually understand and treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ. That indeed is a mystery, how few actually understand and treasure this gospel. The mystery, in another stated another way, is that any one at all would believe the foolishness of this message preached. Who would believe this message? That God would take upon himself human flesh. That he would die the shameful death on the cross. That he would be raised from the grave again. And that sinners would believe in this. The Greeks understood. Hey, resurrection, that's foolishness. Who would believe that? Once you're dead, you're dead. Only a fool would accept otherwise. Can anything limit the power of God? Is the arm of the Lord too short? Here, regarding this mystery, it's also a mystery revealed for you and I to understand how the gospel relates to every matter in your life. you realize how the gospel comes into play regarding your interactions with your spouse? Who you are the husband, who you are the wife, The gospel story in Ephesians 5 speaks about that. Christ and his love for the church, and the bride and her submission to Christ. You see how the gospel ties into that. The gospel ties into your disagreements, the gospel ties into uh, your work and your labors. All of the gospel is central to all of it, it relates to all of it. Here, we think about how Paul's request then. He says also, Regarding the matter of boldly, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We'll talk about that more in the third point, which is Paul's burden, verse 20. He, he brings it up there again in the next verse. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Here we think about this mention for which I am an ambassador in chains. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is one. Who is sent by a king. Or a government. uh, To represent. The government. To another body. So a diplomatic agent. Of the highest rank. Will represent. uh, His own government. Which is the triune god. To residents. Of a foreign nation. In this case the world. So. The triune God sends the Apostle Paul to the world to represent the heart, the message of the king. Here we think about ambassadors. It is no small thing to be an ambassador. It's a great honor to be an ambassador. It's not the bottom rung of society that are chosen to be ambassadors. There's all kinds of tests. and ambassadors is typically appointed by presidents and their administrations. There's various levels. To dishonor an ambassador is tantamount to dishonoring the king or the government that sent them. So this whole idea of an ambassador in chains is an entire contradiction. An ambassador is a free man. And to be in chains, well, that's, that's God's choice. That's God's design. So some people ask, why didn't God simply send angels to bear witness of this gospel message? Well, when we look at angels, their name, by definition, means messenger. Angels are messengers of God. But they brought messages, special messages, right, to Mary and other people. They never brought the message of the gospel. And there's good reason, good design for that. Sinful men are spooked by angels. You see that even in the Apostle John in Revelation 19. That here... He interacts with this angel... And he falls down and worships the angel... And the worshipers do not do that... Worship God... He also is a creation... So here... There's a distraction... Hey listen... No worship offered to angels... There's also a clear cut reason why... Angels... Are not sent as messengers of the gospel... Is because they do not have the blessedness... And the joy... Of the salvation message... They only long to look into it... They have an experience the satisfaction and the joy of Jesus Christ of being one who receives and has been blessed by this gospel hope. So then here, you think about the treasures and jars of clay. Meaning God chooses to use imperfect people, sinners, to bear witness of this good news. And it's a message not just of you must repent and believe, but it's a message of I also have repented and believed. It's one sinner telling another sinner where he can find free bread. Come, come to the fountain. Buy water or buy food without money. Buy wine without money. If it's only another sinner who can say, listen, this is where I was. Worse off than you. And this is what the Lord is, my true hope. This is why God didn't send angels. We think about chains. An ambassador in chains. Why chains? Why chains? Here we think about the oddity of God's wisdom that we don't fully understand. Acts chapter 26 verse 29. Paul's gotten to King Agrippa. King Agrippa is listening to Paul's message. Here he's in chains. And King Agrippa is saying, hey, you're almost going to persuade me to become a Christian. Paul's response I would wish to God that whether in a short or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Did the chains form any barrier for the Apostle Paul to testify of the word? The answer is no. He acknowledges this. He acknowledges this. 2nd. Second Timothy chapter two verse nine, that he says he's imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. But then he follows up by saying, But the word of God is not imprisoned. Though he's in chains, the word of God is never chained. Here, you think about how in Acts twenty-four, verse twenty-five, there's no mention of chains, as, as the Apostle Paul is speaking to Felix, we're told that Felix often brought him out to talk to him. On one hand, he enjoyed hearing what the Apostle Paul believed. On the other hand, we're told that he wanted to get a bribe. He wanted to get paid a bribe from Paul. But when Paul started talking about the judgment to come, you can imagine here was this chained man who was speaking this message that caused Felix to be frightened. He was afraid as he spoke about the judgment to come. And he sent him away. Here we think about... How the ambassador does not represent himself, but the one who sent him. An ambassador's job is not to do his own thing. He's supposed to represent the heart of the person who sent him. How difficult being an ambassador can be in modern politics. You think about various nations, right? That sometimes governments are full of themselves. Sometimes governments are aggressive and belligerent. Here the duty of the ambassador is not to represent his own heart. He's supposed to represent the heart of the person who sent him. And here we have the Apostle Paul as an ambassador. We have a sense regarding God's great condescension to us as sinners. In 2 Corinthians 5.20 and 21 regarding this concept of ambassador. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you catch that? This is the Apostle Paul saying, we beg you, we're sent as ambassadors, we beg you, be reconciled to God. That very concept of God condescending to the level of man. That God would make things so favorable, so good. He is actually begging sinners to receive forgiveness. Yet still, they do not come. That's part of the mystery. On one hand, who would believe it? And on the other hand, who wouldn't? But you you have a little bit of an understanding about the heart of God. That he would send his ambassadors... To beg sinners to receive the gospel. Have you believed it? You ever, you ever sense? You go to some place. They're handing out free things, and you go to some other place, other foreign countries. They would say, if they're giving it out for free, it must be worthless. Do you ever get the sense about the gospel? If it doesn't cost me anything, it must be worthless. If someone's begging me to take it, it must be no good. This is how the world thinks. But yet here, you have God, the almighty God, begging sinners to believe upon Jesus Christ, to receive forgiveness, to receive eternal riches. What greater message is there than that? Here, regarding this bold declaration of the gospel, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. This is a reminder to you and to me. It's true for any and every Christian that we must have an unashamed faith in Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as a closet Christian. Not at all. If you're a Christian, then this must be your greatest boast in life. We cannot have a separation. Hey, when I'm at work, I don't want anyone to know I'm a Christian. We can't have that. I mean, I'm not saying that you, you should be blabbing everyone. Hey, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm not saying that. But we, we can't have a separation, right? This idea of, of hey, in this f- sphere of my life, Christ is obvious. But in this sphere, I, I, I keep it completely hidden. I, I can't tell a single person about it. There's no such closet Christian. To be a Christian means that you glory in Christ Jesus. May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Stated another way, you cannot be a friend of the world and a friend of Christ. Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That if we're going to be Christians, it must be that we would be bold Christians. That we would live our lives boldly for Jesus Christ. Here, we think also, besides boldness, that there would be clarity. I recall one of my professors in seminary, he is now with the Lord, but he had said if you're going to be a preacher of the gospel, you must be simple to understand. Wisdom and intelligence is not taking simple things to make them complicated. Wisdom and intelligence takes complex things and simplifies them. He says, it's important that you be clear. If you're going to be bold, you should also be clear that people would understand you. Don't mince words. Don't confuse people. Speak it clearly. Speak it simply. So that even little children can hear and understand this gospel message. Here we go. Think about, besides the application given, some particular ones. The duty of every Christian to be a prayer warrior. The duty that we have to pray for ministers, for evangelists, for missionaries. That when we pray from this pulpit, when we pray in our prayer meetings, that we would remember uh, those who have been called to bear witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in foreign lands, As church planters, God alone is the one who assures that his word will not return to him void. Here, every Christian must understand your duty, my duty of prayer, both giving and receiving from one another. That we would bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's also a reminder to us regarding the gospel that we believe. That if we're going to believe it, then we must believe it wholeheartedly. We must believe it boldly. We must not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's the power of God to everyone who believes. Let we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for you are indeed the great and the awesome God. Father, we thank you.